And now, a bit of romance. Two girls on a quest to find which rom-com is the best. P.S. I love rom-coms. I love rom-coms. Hello, and welcome to P.S. I love rom-coms, the podcast about sharing desserts, men who are flirts, and P.I.s getting dirt. <laughs> Uh, we're your hosts i'm Allie, and i'm mia p.s i love rom-coms is a podcast where each week Allie and i rom-com experts try to answer the question more mysterious in the murky depths of the loch ness which rom-com is the best rom-com of all time joining us today is a very talented comedian and actress and if she, if she was in a rom-com she'd be a movie producer from la who swaps homes with an english writer where she not only falls in love with the picture-perfect English village, but also a handsome British book editor who teaches her how to cry again. You guys, it's the one and only Madison Lanasy. Hello. Wow. I'm absolutely shocked to hear that I am the hot character from the holiday. <laughs> I, I, I always assumed I would be the one who dated Jack Black. Always assumed. But it's no, no, so no. True. Jude Law. You were for Jude Law. Yeah, and bless them both. And and Kate Winslet is one of the most beautiful people in the world. But I do feel that they intentionally parted her hair in an unattractive. No, and I I do want to say Kate Winslet is probably one of my favorite actresses of all time, and she is stunning. But I think that they, I think that they implied that Cameron Diaz was like the hot bitch, and Kate Winslet was like the emotional like you know friends with the old guy moment and of i felt course. like that's probably yes. more my vibe but i love i love to experience the perception that i could be cameron diaz oh <laughs> well it suits you it suits you and now madison speaking of who you might be in a rom-com this week we like to start off each episode with a little segment called which rom-com hero or heroine are you channeling where we equate the experiences we've had this week with a famous rom-com hero or heroine um I can start us off this week. Um, this week, I'm channeling someone that we hear often channeling because she's just such a versatile character. But I am channeling Stella from how Stella got her groove back. Um, oh. <laughs> yes, yes. Because in the film, Stella is lost in the murkiness of work and money and motherhood and stress. And all she wants to do is get in that little shed and make furniture and this week was a bad week <laughs> this is this is a news wise very bad week not not a good week at all and um a difficult week for everyone and um i basically um something that helps me get through it was i had to assemble some furniture so it forced oh. me to put my phone down have a glass of wine uh put on a really great podcast called nice white parents that if you need a good listen um it's it's like such it's the best podcast like it's like the best written podcast I've heard since Dirty John. And I just had I had some mean time assembling furniture and I felt so happy. And it made me say, why isn't my job assembling furniture? Because uh, I like to work with my hands and feel like I'm solving a puzzle. Um, so I am channeling Stella <laughs> when she gets in that little shed and she makes some furniture and she remembers um, sort of what keeps her grounded and makes her feel good. So, you know... Um, was paying attention, took a moment off to collect myself. 
<laughs> to collect myself. Bills and furniture. Highly recommend it. Highly recommend nice white parents. Um, that so yeah, that's me. I'm channeling Stella. Um, an absolute classic icon. Allie, who are you channeling? Oh man. Um, I think this week I'm channeling Joan Cusack's character. Peggy Fleming from Runaway Bride. Um, there's this monologue in... I rewatched Runaway Bride recently um, over too. the holidays. It, you did too? Yeah, I did. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, so then you go... Okay. <laughs> you know exactly what I'm going to reference that. There's this monologue in um, Runaway Bride where um, Peggy Fleming is talking to Julia Roberts' character and she's talking it's about... So it's so it is such a good monologue because it you never really hear from like the best friend character the best friend character in rom-coms is like traditionally like very one-dimensional you don't really learn their backstory at all and like this monologue from Joan Cusack was about the difference between weird girls and quirky girls and she talks Mm -hmm. about how um uh Julia Roberts' character is quirky and guys like quirky girls. Um, But guys don't like weird girls like Joan. And there was something just so (laughs) heartbreaking and like poignant about this monologue. And it, um, it like, it made her character really human. And I connected with it because I've always felt um, not like a cute quirky girl, but always like a, um, (laughs) a weird girl and I guess why I'm feeling like weird uh, weirder than normal is like I've been spending a lot of time in my room um, like a lot of us and I'm just like looking I've been spending a lot of time with my stuff and just like looking at my stuff and thinking about my stuff Um, and (laughs) I have three mannequin heads guys (laughs) I don't need three mannequin heads and so I'm trying to like get up the nerve to like get rid of at least like one mannequin head and I can't I can't um and I and I'm like maybe this is why you know I have trouble holding on to people is uh they come over and they're like three mannequin heads is too many um uh, I you know this got four people's heads staring at me um just a, i don't know that was just something i was thinking about Ellie, you always have very fun belongings and i don't think you need to get rid of any of your mannequin heads and i love the fact that you have three mannequin heads and you can't manage to part with any of them and i think that is both quirky and weird but admirable <laughs> on all accounts <laughs> madison who are you channeling this week i think that the rom-com character that i'm channeling this week and I really just wanted to say that I was her, but I do actually think it fits for this week, is Gracie Hart from <laughs> Miss Congeniality, Sandy mm-hmm. Bullock. Mm-hmm. Um, she's kind of watching for danger. She's suspicious. <laughs> um, she's ready to attack at any moment someone who might have a gun. Um, but she's also <laughs> bonding with her girlfriends, and that's pretty much my reality right now. Um, she's also one of my favorite characters in a rom-com. Great rom-com heroines to be channeling shall we get into our movie discussion um yeah this this week we watched the 2008 romantic comedy maid of honor 
In this film, Tom, played by Patrick Dempsey, is an infamous playboy and inventor of the coffee sleeve. <laughs> However, <laughs> when his best friend Hannah, played by Michelle Monaghan, goes on a work trip, Tom realizes that he's in love with her. But when she returns, she is engaged to a soon-to-be Scottish duke and asks Tom (laughs) to be her maid of honor. Tom says yes, hoping to prevent the nuptials and woo her himself. Maid of Honor was directed by Paul Weiland and written by Adam Steichel, Harry Elfont, and Deborah Kaplan. Also, fun fact, Harry Elfont and Deborah Kaplan wrote Leap Year, which is another rom-com set in the British Isles. It's one of my favorite rom-coms of all time. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, Amy Adams, how could you not? I know. Oh, but so you guys, what are initial thoughts on the film? Was any of our first time seeing it? Madison, I know you had um, put a plug in for the film. So what's your relationship to the film like? So this used to be one of my absolute favorite um, rom-coms. Now, upon a rewatch, there's definitely (laughs) some new insights that have come up. Um, I also did look into who the writer was. because I do think the writing is very snappy and funny. I will say that. Mm-hmm. Like there's a lot yes. of rom-coms on a rewatch that just like aren't even funny. And I'm like, how did I enjoy this? This has a lot of jokes that, that hit. Um, and I looked into Leap, Leap Year and I've never seen it. So that's a good movie. You know, it, that, that it's up to um, debate, you know, um, it may have less than uh, 50% on Rotten Tomatoes, but uh, I think that it has aspects that are fun in, okay. it takes place in Ireland. And I just, I love, you know, rom-coms are all about fantasy and I love oh any God. rom-com that's like, also like you travel to a destination. Takes us to a new place. Yeah. So I will say, I just want to say the reason that I've always loved Maid of Honor so much is one scene in the movie has always stuck so (laughs) distinctly with me is when um, they're at the dinner um, with her new husband, her fiance, and she reaches over to eat some of his cake and he scolds her. Oh my God. Like, I like, there's so many movies that I watch in my life that like, I can't remember anything that happens. And this is such a like non, um, it's such a random Mm rom-com. And that particular scene has just always stuck in my head, like throughout my life. Cause it was just such a subtle way of getting across the message Mm -hmm. of like, when you know someone isn't right for you and they do such a good job of like, putting that in there at the beginning of the movie that they like share their dessert. And it's just so like, just makes you hate him just so quickly, you know, Um, that he doesn't let her reach over onto his plate. And that's like my favorite scene in the movie. Yes. Cause also Mm -hmm. that's so relatable. I don't know. Have you guys like ever been on a date with someone or just like kind of like in a thing with somebody and then like that weird boundary pops up and you're like, Oh my God, no, like never. Like it's so, like something that that scene also stuck out to me madison because like we we talk a lot uh, about on the podcast like this trope of like good on paper guy and um colin Mm -hmm. this scottish duke is like the epitome of good on paper guy but there's always like one thing wrong with good on paper guy that like prevents the heroine from 
falling in love with him. And sometimes he has like a bad laugh. And <laughs> sometimes he's like allergic to peanuts or something like that. And the heroine's like, for some reason, he's just not perfect. Um, but this was the first like ever like little flaw that I've seen that I've also been like, oh my gosh, no. Like that kind of like possessiveness yeah. and like unwilling to like share food even from like a biological standpoint is like very yeah. unnerving. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like really, that's what I'm saying. It just punched so much deeper than like you would think. It just was like so visceral, like, oh, he's mm-hmm. controlling. He's like gonna expect yes. her to behave a certain way. Yes. Um, it just really was like such a good uh I just thought that's one of the best versions of that that they've done in a film. Yeah. And, and I thought it was well justified because as we all probably have been watching The Crown and Bridgerton, we can imagine that a Scottish duke would have to sort of be proper and, you know, the, the, that royalty has um, restrictions and things you can and cannot do. So it, I was like, oh, it also makes sense that he is like, don't, no, don't do that. And it gives her a little mm-hmm. dollop of the frosting. Mia, was this your first time seeing Maid of Honor? This was my first time seeing Maid of Honor. Oh my gosh. Yes. <sighs> was it your first time, Al? No, no. I've seen it once before a long time ago, but I had forgotten a lot and like rewatching it. And I was like, oh yeah. Yeah. I really liked it. I mean, my, my biggest note, I have a few like <laughs> notes for the writer and the director. Um, <laughs> it's just spend more time in Scotland. Scotland is so fun. Like yeah. I loved like one of my favorite scenes was like they had this um uh Patrick Dempsey's character, you know, goes over to Scotland for their um destination wedding and they're like, "Oh, let's play these Highland games where, you know, two men fight over, you know, the honor of um like the bride or like the, you know, the right to um, wed the bride. And I just thought it was so funny watching Patrick Dempsey in a little kilt uh, (laughs) play Highland games. Um, It's, it's silly, but I also thought it was like kind of what made this rom-com a little bit more uh, unique because it is, it is sort of similar to um, my best friend's wedding, which we mentioned a little bit earlier in the Mm -hmm. episode. Yes. 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 Which I I saw a few reviewers call it a gender reversed my best friend's wedding. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, I agree. I thought the, yeah. Cause I think, I think this is a movie that like one, I enjoy it. Like, I think I enjoy the core idea. I enjoy like the core structure of it. And think that like overall, like in terms of just like a rom-com that like what you watch to enjoy and escape, like it does work. I think this being a rom-com made in 2008 and what you were saying, Madison, about like different thoughts upon rewatching. I do think this is a rom-com that like is probably best if you viewed it in when it came out. Like it's yeah. it's mm-hmm. probably, yeah, you, then it, that is probably easier to connect to it. Because um, like so many rom-coms, just like a, a lot of the humor and a lot of certain things just like age, don't age super well. But um, but sorry, but yeah, but I I actually agree in that. Like I thought some, one of the most unusual things about the rom com was the pacing felt a little off. Where we it, where the pacing was off. Yeah, they we're in the in that so much time in the beginning, really. So much time when yeah, she's in Scotland yeah. and he's in America, where it could have been. And even when we're like seeing them, like they go, to, they we spend. It feels like we are. They spend like every Sunday together all day long, and it feels like we are spending 
all day long on a Sunday with them. And then she goes to Scotland. He's in America. I feel like that could have just been like really quick. But that part was so long. That feels like at the end of the rom-com when the couple yeah. is like separated and thinking of each other. And I remember I was like 20 minutes in being like, oh, this is normally, this normally happens later. But yeah, by the time we finally get to Scotland, I'm like, oh, this is where we should have been for like, yeah, some of like the fun hijinks of the movie. Um, I really liked it. I, I, I really like Patrick Dempsey and I, I, and I, hate, yeah. I don't like, I don't like to think this because I am someone that people tell me that like, I, it's like, I, I probably don't get to play a lot of like, asshole roles because it's like hard to believe <laughs> I'm, I'm not saying i'm not an asshole like i am but i'm just saying like you're not yeah you're the you're the opposite of an asshole yeah so it's like yeah. sometimes people like don't let me play like really like mean people and i just think it's like patrick dempsey it's like i don't think he has the like mean sort of like lothario bit of a lad vibe down quite oh. high because and, and he's he's so he because I feel like he's typically a good on paper guy. So here he's playing sort of like the Ryan Reynolds role, the um mean Tom Hanks role. Um and so I think for me a lot of like the things that I think the, the people who play those roles often can sort of like make work. And it could have also been the aging of the movie. Like a lot of it came out just like kind of mean. Um, yeah. Where yeah, where like especially just in the first 25 minutes of the movie, I was just like, um, I was just like, oh, he's mean. Uh, uh, I wrote down mean to Monica. I don't know. Um, I think he lacks a certain playfulness that um, that maybe kind of like the, you know, playboy, you know, asshole type kind of needs. McConaughey. Um, yeah. McConaughey, some of Tom Hanks's roles, like... Because you're right. Yeah, Patrick Dempsey usually plays good on paper guy because isn't that he plays good on paper guy in Sweet Home Alabama, correct? Exactly. Yeah. And he's like, and you yeah. like love him in that. Like you almost upon, want her to pick him. Upon a rewatch, I think I was like, why was I so obsessed with this movie? And I realized that I'm I'm very attracted to both Patrick Dempsey and Michelle Monaghan. Um, yes. And I... They're, Excellent. They're excellent. Those characters though, on a rewatch are both kind of assholes. Um, like, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> there is just something more. Like, I was like, oh, and maybe that's why I liked it because I was like, oh, they're actually not good people, and that's kind of like, <laughs> you know, sort of like when Harry met Sally vibes. Like, sometimes it's mm-hmm. nice to watch like more realistic people, like around in New York and like fall in love and you're just like yeah they're like from New York and they're like she left this poor guy at a wedding in front of his whole family and he's like a chauvinist pig I don't know something about that's real but I did not realize um how much he was an asshole and I I didn't real like the whole busy Phillips character um becomes oh, yeah. now like someone I relate to whereas when I was younger I probably was like oh my god she's so mm. annoying you know now I'm kind of like I found her to be very funny no I I completely agree especially like Michelle yeah I do feel like just Michelle Monaghan being in it elevates it because I think Michelle Monaghan is just like one of the most attractive people she's um, hot I ran into her at um, Masa, the deep dish pizza <gasps> place in Echo Park. And oh me and my ex-boyfriend were both a little tipsy. And we both kind of like came to the re- realization that we both really want to sleep with Michelle Monaghan. <laughs> and that, like we were just so excited that she was there. And we were just kind of like 
you know, horned up after the wine and just kind of like into <laughs> Michelle Monaghan. We can really focus on the food. It's just a whole <laughs> evening. <laughs> Did you talk to her? Um, no, I think we both decided like, let's not, you know, <laughs> yeah. we're a little, yeah. <laughs> little jazzed up right now. Yeah, that makes sense. But um, read what you were saying about Busy Phillips' character. I think another issue I had in this movie that I think I would have never noticed at all in 2008, because I think so many female characters were written this way in 2008, and I accepted that as part of reality, is that I feel like most of the female characters besides Michelle Monaghan's character, Hannah, are like pretty, like written pretty, like written to be like pretty like awful and like dumb people. Yeah. Um, or just like yeah. very one-dimensional. Yes. Agreed. I like Busy Phillips' character in this. But yeah, every time we see the woman, like an, a, a female character, we're supposed to be like, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. I think a good example of that is like um, one of uh, Hannah's uh, bridesmaids. Her whole bit is she's like um, trying to lose weight to fit into this wedding dress. Um and it's supposed to be like, haha, how funny. Like, she's not eating anything and she's starving herself <laughs> yeah. to fit into this wedding dress. And it's like, you know, this is, you're playing it as a bit, but this is like very stressful and, and complex behavior. And it's, you're just kind of turning it into a joke. And um, I, uh, I, I've talked about this on a few other episodes, but I like to play this game when I'm watching rom coms, you know did a man direct this or did a woman direct this? Um, and I could tell, um, I think within the first five minutes, five to 10 minutes that, um, a man directed this totally. because there is, uh, this scene where we first meet, it's kind of our introduction to quote unquote adult Hannah, where she's restoring, um, this oh my God, painting. Yeah. I don't know if it's of Jesus. I'm not really sure. It's this painting of like a character on um like on a cross, like a dead man on a cross. And it's framed in a way that she, it looks like she's giving fellatio to this painting um, of this dead man while she's restoring it. And I'm like, oh, anytime I see a joke, that puts a woman in like a sexual kind of position and she's like not aware of it or it's at the woman's like expense. Mm -hmm. I'm always like, Oh, a man directed this. Um, yeah. And I was yeah. right because shortly afterwards the title like directed, um, uh, directed by who directed it again? Um, uh, uh, directed by Paul Wyland appeared and I was like, okay, yep. That's, yeah, that's it. There's a line that I wrote down that kind of hit me, like rushed over me, which is they have all these asides with the group of guys on the basketball team, which I actually do think are pretty funny most of the time. But um, the one guy like mentions that she's pushing 30. And I like, <laughs> like that she would need to find a man because she's pushing 30. And I just like, totally the wind was taken out of me because I'm like, Hang on, she's not even thirty, and like she's twenty eight. She's twenty eight, and I, you know, I'm twenty eight, uh, and I am, yeah. and he's thirty two. So yeah, so it was like there was a couple of moments 
I mean, the, the entire movie is incredibly gendered, um, which I think is like mm-hmm. probably the most dated things about rom-coms in general is that most of the comedy is like men and women. How do they <laughs> do it? Yeah. You know? Um, and so a lot of them don't age super well, but, um, yeah, that was just one line that stuck out to me as being pretty jarring. Another one I, that stuck out to me that I was like, oh my gosh, a man directed this was (laughs) Hannah says, um, (laughs) I dreamt of my wedding shower since I was eight years old. And I was like, what? Yeah, no woman has ever <laughs> dreamt of her wedding yeah. shower. Her shower. wedding, yes. Yeah. I consistently forget that's a thing. That was insane when she said that. Yeah, I mean, honestly, if we really are to go down this road with this movie, I mean, like every gag is just absolutely <laughs> absurd. Like the anal beads. Yes, <laughs> and that's another. <laughs> and they hit it so it hard. Like I understand that it's two thousand eight. And if you want to make the anal bee joke one time in 2008, I will say, okay, that's the time. You want to make that anal bee joke five times in the movie without heightening it ever? It's just that she's still wearing Sure, they glow one time. I'm like, oh my God. Yeah, that Um, was, it is just funny because it's like, I was watching that movie when I was like, well, let's see, 2008, it's 2020. <laughs> what the fuck math is that? I was like, how old? How old were we? So 12 if years I'm... ago, we are... Okay. Um, fuck, we can do this. 16? Yes. yes. Yeah, which is like, okay. 15, like, I guess it's not terrible, but it is just like, I don't know. It was just really intense to see the sort of like anal of it all. Yeah, it just, it was, it was, yeah. I don't have more to say on that. Yeah. I think, I think is it like where a lot of these movies, like specifically, I could even see it more so for men watching it where it's like when I watch these movies from that certain time and you know that this was super normal at that time, it makes me feel bad for children at that time. Like specifically in this, I I feel bad for young men during this time because of like how it just like made me, it just like brings back viscerally like how common homophobia was and how scary it would have been to be, a young boy that where it's like any um like any sort of like quality that's like remotely feminine if you show that it's it's like you get shut down in this way where even they had this like great i mean kevin sussman king of the nerdy side character yeah and they, they like make a comment about like how he can't play with them because his friends with like longer shorts are coming you know and it's just like ah uh, like yeah like i don't know like men in short shorts like that's that's completely fine um so yeah just like some of that stuff and then for women young women i get so sad when i watch these films and think of us at that age thinking this was completely normal because of just like how all the female characters are like I'm just just uh, meant to be stupid um, or shallow. And then how just like so many girls my age at that time would be like, oh, I don't like girls. You know, they'd be like, I like guys. Like girls are awful, right? And that was just so common. Um, And then you're like, where did that come from? And then you're like, every single thing we watched, (laughs) the thesis was like, girls are awful, except for the one girl who gets along with the guys. Um, Yeah. And the one girl who didn't sleep with him. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, so the only girl who's allowed to be cool is the one who like absolutely refuses sex and works in an art gallery and is like super vulnerable with her love, but like never with her body. It's like, no. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I even thought, I thought her character in the beginning at college seemed dope where she was like, screw you. You're a thin lipped, like yeah. whatever. Moved yeah. on. And then I feel like they just dropped it completely when she was 10 years in the future. And then it was like, okay, let me guess what kind of cake you want. That's my favorite <laughs> game. And like, um, it just like, she was, con- she was just like doe eyed <laughs> at him. And I was like, what happened to the character in the first part of the movie? Yeah. Um, Okay, so that's okay. So we so we covered some of the stuff we didn't like about the movie. Um, is there anything else we want to get out that we didn't like before we can circle back to some things that we like did appreciate? Um, something that like I don't. Um, I felt like this movie because we're right. This movie is very gendered. Um, because there are mm-hmm. jokes where it's like this is guys guys doing girl stuff, but I felt like it was it was trying no. and maybe at times failing, but at least there was like. Tr- attempts for Patrick Dempsey's character to um in the movie they say get in touch with his feminine side but I would just say getting in touch with his compassionate side um uh where he like steps up and like tries to do a good job being um Hannah's uh maid of honor um is he doing it because he wants her to you know love him back yes but steps up and he like does a good job making the gift baskets and he likes he studies um about what the role is and and does and he is um and he tries to show up for her um with actions of you know helping her you know with her registry and and stuff like that and i and i i appreciated the attempt sometimes you know it fell a little bit short, but um, there were moments of that. Um, and then I, you know, I, I guess I want to shout out also, we did it a little bit earlier with Kevin Sussman, but um, I think that the side characters in this movie, while not always mm-hmm. written to be three dimensional, great. They got some great actors playing them. Um, Whitney Cummings, Busy Phillips, oh like comedy powerhouses. Um, I don't think that they really let Whitney Cummings shine, but um, yeah. yeah. How long did it take you guys to figure out oh. it was Whitney Cummings? I completely negated that it was Whitney Cummings. Like I <laughs> saw that Whitney Cummings is in the movie before I watched it. I clocked that. I digested that. And then I promptly removed it from my mind. Was she the cousin? She was the brown hair with bangs. Okay, yeah. So she doesn't really have a character. Very neutral. The peacekeeper. No, she's very neutral. I couldn't tell you a single thing that that (laughs) character said in the movie. Yeah, it took me like three scenes. Like the third scene she was in, I was like, is that Whitney Cummings? And then it was. I could tell you, I did love a, a line that Busy Phillips says in the movie, which is she says... Can anybody who's not a misogynist pass the Splenda? (laughs) (laughs) And I really enjoyed that. I think that's a line that aged well, because at the time it was probably meant to be like, look at this annoying woman who's been like uh, screwed over and now she's like an angry feminist. But now it ages so well where you're just like, fuck yeah, busy. Like that's, that's That's what I'm saying. Like she, her character actually like really hit home for me. Of course it's like, you know, not fun to watch the like borderline rapey scene when she, um, crashes into his room. But, um, but I do like her whole, like you understand now, like her kind of coming. I actually thought they should have ended up together. That was a little thing that I wrote down. I was like, I could see that being a different rom-com. 
you know, yeah. L- like an Isla Fisher and uh, Vince Vaughn like twist in Wedding Crashers. Yeah. When like it's, it's like, like she's yeah. just kind of like they almost had more chemistry because she's like constantly getting his goat and he's like having to wise up and like evade her like moments and i was like yeah, Madison. yeah. you're so right oh my gosh yeah. okay well okay so it's funny that you say that because i had a similar thought while i was watching this which was like this because this movie like, we talked about how it, it reminds us of um uh my best friend's wedding and it i wanted I I think that why my best friend's wedding is like a classic rom-com and why this rom-com has maybe um, kind of gotten lost a little bit as time has passed or or is just kind of like a fun rom-com is because like true love and like I think like the right thing to do is like to let it's like, let the other person be happy. Like they talk about Casablanca in this movie. They even reference Casablanca and how, Mm. um, you know, like sometimes the right thing to do is if you love someone is like, let them go and let them like live their, their life, um, instead of trying to ruin their wedding. Um, Mm. and, and I, I feel like that's like, if you really love somebody, that's maybe like the truer thing to do than to, um, yell, I, you know, I object right as they're mm-hmm. saying I do. Um, but yeah, that was something I, I thought about a lot. It's like, if I rewrote this movie, I think I wouldn't have, you know, a true active friendship would be him not um, ruining her wedding. Yeah. yeah. This happens a lot in rom-coms. Why are people always waiting to the last minute to say, I have feelings for you right before the wedding? As soon as they get engaged, you got to let them know. Like, yes. it's just always, That's, always like, no, uh, you would say it sooner than that. You wouldn't wait till the day of. Yeah. That's no. maybe the biggest issue I have with the movie is that it's a it's a pretty um fixable circumstance. That like there's this thing where the men are like, you have to go in as the maid of honor and you have to make her see it's you. And it's like, I don't quite understand why we can't just tell her right now before we go to Scotland. Now I'm gonna say mm-hmm. that I actually relate with in a big way. Okay. 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 Mm-hmm. Like when I watch movies that are around the subject of someone not being able to tell someone else they love them, I start to get like heart palpitations because I'm like, I, I, it's really hard to say how you feel, you know, like it's really hard to be this like vulnerable in that way. Um, and I, I could see myself kind of ending up in a situation where I have to like play a role in order to get closer to someone, you know? Um, yes. Yeah, I I relate to that in that like the thing that to me is very grounded and true is that in love timing is huge. And it's like yes. you can just get so screwed over by timing, by like when you're finally available and ready for something and then someone else does meet someone else. Like that stuff I feel like I do see over and over again in real life. So I do relate to that element. I think that's why when Harry Met Sally is such a perfect rom-com because it's like it's all about this idea of like people just go through different phases in their life and they might not like meet in the right moment. Like I think that's why a lot of rom-coms are about timing. Um, Mm -hmm. One thing I do just want to say that I really love about the movie is um, I really love him running into the waiter gag. 
<laughs> I laughed so hard. Like it got me every time. And like for him to get up from the table and run into him that hard, like absolutely had me in stitches. I will say that I do think, even though there is like a lot in this movie, right? That just sort of like overshadow and cloud because you're like, whoa, there's a lot of crazy things happening upon viewing this in 2020. There were some bits I really appreciated um, and some comedy in here. Um, I really loved when he was coming with the flowers and to meet to meet her and her and then realize the fiance's there and he like trips into somebody and then he's like she's like you have flowers and he's like no these are your flowers and this, the guy's like these aren't mine and then he's like they're your flowers I like that bit um I liked uh I really like this is so crazy because I thought it was like not in line with the jokes in the movie but it's like my favorite kind of joke where like when he's trying on lingerie with Hannah and he tries to cover her up with a coat and this random stranger walks by and it's like that's my coat my coat yeah (laughs) that's like such a good joke no oh no similar to that joke like one of those like one-offs is um what's the guy's name you guys keep saying the nerdy guy Kevin Kevin Sussman Sussman. yeah (laughs) him in that little running bit where it's like the montage they do when it's like he's deciding to finally like be the right guy and they're all asking him <laughs> questions that he's learned about like being a maid of honor and the guy just like asks him a random like trivia question about basketball <laughs> and he's like I thought we were just kind of like asking questions I mean I was really yeah. laughing <laughs> oh Kevin Sussman had another line where they all just finished playing basketball and um, they're taking a shower and they were playing basketball with Hannah's like very handsome um, yes. fiance, Colin. And they're like, huh, in a very, you know, uh, hyper masculine way, looking at each other's dicks and being like, look how yeah. big Colin's dick is. And Kevin Sussman just walks up and he goes, my boy's got mad cow disease. Oh, I wrote <laughs> that really. Down. I wrote that way. <laughs> and it is so sad and heartbreaking and i wonder if he improvised that line it's yeah. so weird and it's i'm so sure he did funny. i was gonna say yeah, that earlier when we were talking about um what were we talking about we were talking about something about this movie being weird and i was gonna say to quote the movie it was mad cow disease because that, <laughs> that was so shocking I don't know if y'all have noticed this, but have you like, cause I, I was thinking about this when I was watching happiest season, shout out Mary Holland. Um, but when you watch comedians alongside like actors who have been like leads in movies consecutively, there's such a stark difference sometimes that it's actually so wild. Like the, the comedic character is depicted as being so fucking crazy that it's it's like it's the the disparity is comical like his character is just like not realistic or grounded in any way but is so funny but just seems like so do you guys know what I'm talking about like it feels like almost like you're watching two different styles you're so right because like Kevin Sussman's jokes which are like these strange one-liners and he's wearing this very like heightened kind of like costume um with like these like goggles and you know sweatbands and stuff is a very different kind of humor than the humor of um patrick dempsey running into that waiter because like that kind of humor is like really really grounded because i and this is maybe dark and twisted of me but the funniest part of that that was like the waiter being like ow 
I think I broke a rib, you idiot, for running into me, um, which just feels like yeah. very grounded. Um, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know what my pitch for why the movie is this way? Because I agree. Because now we're talking about, right, there's like... I mean, honestly, I think it's like this movie feels like it just tried to stuff a lot of things into one movie. And I think what happened is when you go to the IMDb, you see that there's a story by and then three people credited with the script. And I think yeah. even to get like credited with the script, it's like you have to rewrite like such a large portion of it that I I am curious as to how many people punched up the scripts, how many writers it actually yeah. had, because it could have had more writers not even listed who did rewrites yes. of it. Because it does feel that there is like li like different styles layered on top of each other. Because for me, yeah. I would watch a movie of That's My Coat humor. I would want the whole movie to be That's My Coat yeah. humor, right? right? Which is just yeah. awkward yeah. humor. Yeah. Um, yeah. But there's only like a handful of those. I'm kind of of the opposite belief of y'all in the sense that I actually would have been fine with the movie just being the story of this kind of like douchey dude mm. who's not appreciating his friend and then, like, the journey of him learning to appreciate her. Um, like, I didn't need the kind of, like, wackadoodle second half mm. with the, like, all of that going on. But that's because I'm, <laughs> like, I like the style of, like, 90s rom-coms that are, like, basically, like, almost like slice of life, like, very yeah. kind of muted like we're in New York and there's two people who are in love. Like that's how like most of them are. And that's what I actually prefer. And it's all about the like shooting back and forth dial dialogue and stuff like that. Like that's my favorite. And I thought that the movie was building up to be that way. And then it just gets so out of hand with the like wedding stuff and then the Scotland stuff and then all of that. I bet it is the multiple writers and that it just needed to decide to be one or the other. Cause I agree yeah. where I'm like, I would have yeah. been happier if it was the New York thing or I would have been happier if it was in Scotland. Yeah. And just all there. Yeah. And cause even with the Scotland stuff, it, it's totally so different. Like I thought there was some super funny heightens. Like I really didn't like when they were playing basketball with him or being mean to him. And I was like, I hate this. And then when he accidentally dunks and doesn't understand what it is, <laughs> like that was yeah. great and then they like don't reveal that he's royalty until like over halfway through so they have these very fun heightens of like because oh, didn't i tell you he's a duke like that all really worked for me but yeah it feels like a different movie so i wonder yeah. here's my my guess would be that it was slice of life and then people punch it up and we're like we need a crazy set piece <laughs> like yeah. yeah and the crazy set piece yeah. is another country <laughs> exactly <laughs> exactly yeah yeah because whenever we see like multiple writers on something it means like it was like a studio rom-com and that like, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes with studio rom-coms, like the heart of the movie is kind of like beaten out of it. And instead it's yeah. kind of like funny gags and like um, big set pieces and that kind of thing. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. It's very studio. And then I thought by the time that they're in the bar and he, and they kiss like that felt so grounded that right. I was like, oh, that kiss was hot, right? Was that yeah, a hot yeah. kiss? I thought that was a that pretty was. hot kiss. Yeah. And also no. that was a great idea because I'm pretty sure that's like an actual Irish tradition. Um, really? Well, honestly, I've done no research. Um, I just kind of I assumed it seemed real. And you know what also just feels very real to me is like this is like maybe more so like in college, but it's like where where it's like there's like it, like there's like an attraction with someone and you're out with other people and then all of a sudden you're technically alone without them. And then something yes. happens and then they come back. Like that feels very real to me. Yes. Where I'm like, 
oh shit like yeah that feels familiar and grounded yeah and I like her going to his room and then him through the door moment of him being like why did you come to my room and like that kind of yes and they're both like crying yes I have one more thought before we move on which is that if you're going to make him the inventor of the coffee collar, mm. why? <laughs> like, do we have more of it? Like, he could just have been, like, an advertising executive. The way that my brain was doing math on how his invention got to just specifically Starbucks was <laughs> insane. Like, I'm like, so he invented it and then he just immediately sold it to Starbucks? Yeah. And then we just don't ever talk about we 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 only it's like we only talk about it for like cumulatively like thirty seconds of the whole film, and it's like I I love a quirky job I love a fun invention thing I'm just like maybe that could inform his character more. Okay, so I've thought about this a lot. Like that was one of my okay. I loved his weird job, but I was like, why would a writer give him the weirdest job I have ever heard of in any Rob I've watched so far? And I think it's because. They needed a reason for him to have so much time because he has so yeah. much free time. Yeah. And he can literally right. like spend all day with Hannah and, you know, go shopping with her. And he can like go to Scotland at the drop of a hat. And it was like, oh, I know. He just like invented something. And then now he makes a lot of money. Um, okay. That but, makes so, sense. And so I was like, oh, that's, that's, and they were like, oh, yeah, what should he invent? And then I bet the writer was at a coffee shop and looked at his coffee cup and saw a coffee sleeve and was like, I uh, he invented the coffee sleeve. Um, <laughs> that's that's how I think that came to be. And also I looked up because I was like, I wonder how much research the writers did. Um, and I wonder who really did invent the coffee sleeve. And fun fact, it was invented in 1991, which... I don't know if that lines up timing wise. Maybe it does, but it was invented in 1991. When was Clinton impeached? Because that's sort of the main. That was the main kind of area time um, stamp we have. Maybe it lines up. Clinton was but impeached it was invented in 98. In so that 98. doesn't line up. That doesn't line. Oh no! Well, I guess no, no, no. Because yeah, because then that doesn't happen until 98. And the, so the coffee sleeve was already invented by then. Okay. <laughs> okay. Cool. alert. <laughs> and they thought we would miss it. <laughs> oh, no, no. <laughs> and it was invented by Jay Sorensen, and he called it the Java Jacket. <laughs> and did he sell it to Starbucks? No. So he, he got it patented and then um there have been a lot of other like patents on coffee sleeves because people have like altered it over the years um oh, no, with- I see. Mm-hmm. and so uh, um, i don't understand business I, patents and inventions are weird but um you know the technology isn't so crazy um, yeah you can just that, make you know, one somebody else invented alter it well, a little makes bit me sad. But, makes me sad but i hope we got money <laughs> I, I well i wikipedia doesn't say much more about it besides that he invented it when he spilled um coffee uh on his crotch when he was driving his daughter to school <gasps> oh my god yeah so <laughs> well, fun that for you but he's like i burned my balls that's how i got it i burned my balls <laughs> um but yeah, a little fun fact. <laughs> oh my god! Wow. Well, before we move on to counting tropes, any any final thoughts on the film? 
something that kind of haunted me about this film was (laughs) that the main character, Tom, had a wall of DVDs Mm. and had a library ladder. Did you guys see this? Yes. Did did. you see his library of DVDs and his and his ladder? I just kept thinking, God, he's going to feel so stupid in like 12 years. (laughs) All those DVDs. There are so many DVDs. Guys, go back. Watch that part. There's so many DVDs. What a waste. Oh my God. I mean this sincerely. I do think I would still love that in my home if I had like a home and could put anything <laughs> I wanted in it. I do think that I may be like one of the people that would still enjoy mm. that many DVDs. Oh, I miss going I mean, to the video store. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it would be like going to the video store. What a waste of space though in New York. No, in New York. Never mind. Absolutely not. It's too big. Yeah. In New York, you're using your ovens for shoes. Am I right, ladies? (laughs) Um, A couple of thoughts that I have is, first of all, I wanted to get y'all's take on this. Was that Cafe Figueroa, the cafe, the French cafe in Los Feliz that they kept going to? It looks exactly like it. And I was like, maybe they filmed stuff in L.A. and just pretended it was New York. Oh, that that is it on Vermont? Yeah. Yeah, cafe. Oh my god, you guys. Is it? You guys. Okay. So according to movielocations.com. Oh my gosh. um, (laughs) The film, let's see here. Oh my god. Yeah, you have us on the edge of our seat. What? What is it? Oh my God. According to movielocations.com, not sure how credible this is, but it says, and I quote, you might be surprised to realize that quite a lot of the film is made around Los Angeles. And that's the case here. The campus is that of Occidental College Eagle Rock, Northeast downtown LA. Um, Okay. There's a brief montage of Manhattan to set the scene, but Tom's apartment was built in the Pacific Electric Lofts building on Main Street in the old bank district in downtown LA. They meet at the um, Metropolitan Museum of Art. Okay, but so that That, looks like... That's in New York. Yeah, so there is in New York. So they did go to... Yeah, and they did go to actual Chinatown. They did go to an actual Chinatown restaurant in New York that's now shut down. Um, Oh my God, Madison. You'll have no (laughs) more luck tracking down the best bakery in the world where they queue for treats in New York. It's still in business, but it's over on the West Coast. It's Figueroa Bistro. Oh, Vermont Avenue. Madison. Oh my God. Oh my God. You nailed it. You called it. Yeah. I've been there a million times. That's why I was like, wait, that's that cafe, Cafe Figueroa, oh a French place right by the movie theater. And it was the first time that it ever dawned oh. on me that something could be taking place in New York and being filmed in LA. Like that threw me for a fucking loop. <laughs> so, okay. That's I'm very so, impressed with myself. Wow. The other thing I was going to say was, I think when I watched this, when I was younger, I'd always hoped I'd grow up to be like similar to Michelle Monaghan's character. Who's like an artist type, but I'm definitely a match for the character that he goes out on the date with when she's gone and she starts talking like whining and he's like, why are you talking like a six-year-old? That moment was so (laughs) funny to me. And I was like, that is actually who I am. Like, she's just like, I am like whining on a date with this like man child who I'm like so annoyed with right now. 
Um, <laughs> just a fun little game I like to play with myself is which character in the movie am I? And then um, the other thing I was going to say is I think the the man who wrote this was one of those guys who had been told he was an asshole his whole life. And his excuse for being an asshole was that he was incredibly honest because that was such a through line between him and hers character is that their thing was that they're honest, which is just that they're mean to each other. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. That I wrote down the same thing. I wrote down, Oh, so asshole equals honest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel like there was this awesome quote circulating about like a year ago that was like honesty without tact is cruelty. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. I do feel like that's what separates cruelty and honesty is if you're not saying it with tact or compassion, then me thinks you're being a bit of a dick. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. My final thought is that I like this movie. Fine. I like the structure. Yeah, um, obviously, certain things don't age very well. It's still like a fun escapist movie. And I am just grateful to be living in a time where the humor around female sexuality comes from women owning their sexuality, where opposed to the world I grew up in, where the jokes were about men owning female sexuality and us being Uh. out of the loop and uneducated, which you can see all the way back to Bridgerton. Um, (laughs) There's Uh. a big history of keeping women in the dark about sexuality. So I'm just really happy um, that that things are different now. And I but, you know, and also everything in its context, that was the context in which we lived in 2008. Um, Yeah. yeah. Oh, so true. Okay, great. So now that we have chatted about the film. It is time for our segment um, where we count up all the rom-com tropes we saw in the film. We started with the flashback. So that's one. Um, I just wrote down all women. Why did I write that down? I don't remember. I'll come back to it. It's probably that all women are bad. But, oh, you know what it is? It's just the constant generalizations about um, women. <laughs> where it's like, wait, you're a women. Women love this way. You know, it's like, not this woman. I'm different. So that's that's always there. Um, oh, the classic, let me let me tell you who you are guy uh, speech that a girl gives a guy where she sort of like strips him down and like guesses all these specific things about him. So that happens mm-hmm. in the flashback. Um, there's a meet cute. There's several meet cutes. There's their meet cute, which is sort of meet scary when he hops into bed with her on accident. But then there's her meet cute with her fiance where he rides in on a horse and saves her from a flock of sheep that are blocking her car. Very cute. Um, oh, yes, the leads are um, 10 years apart in age, which just is a thing that happens where the man is <laughs> at least 10 years older than the female actress. Um, but they're playing four years apart. Okay, so that's anyways, that's just something. Um, do, 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 do. Oh, there's like the parent who's encouraging the right match. So both sets of parents are like, weird, I always thought you'd end up with the guy who's right for you. Um the couple is straight. The couple is white. Um, tropes we don't like, but are like very prevalent in the segregated genre. Um, the perfect sexy circumstance of having to dance at his father's wedding because the crazy lady who writes a blog shows up. Um, men playing sports to talk um, about their feelings. They play basketball. They play poker. Well, I guess they do decorative bags, but that's part of it. Um, there is only one black character and he is like the guy's best friend and he's pretty like one dimensional. Um, so again, kind of a bummer. 
um, diversity-wise in the casting. Um, Kevin Sussman as a nerdy side character is a rom-com trope. We love you, Kevin. Um, <laughs> Madison already brought this up, but 28 is spinster, while 32-year-old man is okay. So yeah, not even not even 30 yet, and it's, oh, she's getting close to 30. Um, New York is the most magical city. Um, do, 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 do. Oh, a dead parent trope does pop up, potentially too, but they didn't really go into it with his mom, but they do believe they talk about her deceased father saying that he wanted her to marry um, Patrick Dempsey or thought she would marry him. Um, oh, okay. I love this trope. I think it's like when we're all staying at the same place, but we leave the rooms at night to find each other. Um, oh, I love that. Yes. Uh-huh. You see it in Wedding Crashers. Um, is there anything else you can it's think like of? It's like a very like farcical thing. I feel like a lot mm-hmm. of farces are like, we leave like a lot. Of, it's like slamming doors. Like this door opens and then this person pops out. Yes, exactly. Um, and then the last one I have is good on paper guy. The Scottish Duke is good on paper guy. Um, yeah. Yes. Ellie, what'd you have? I have friends are obsessed with your love life. He has like all of his friends are just like, you know, doing research for him and like bringing him um, bridal magazines and DVDs and giving him pep talks, pep talks over basketball, pep talks over brunch, um, helping him with like the gift baskets for the shower. Um, so very supportive friends. Um, I have guys are obsessed with tech just because he has like <laughs> Patrick Dempsey pulls out like a stereo system, like big remote control and he's got a dvd wall with a ladder um i have the trope that we don't like as much which is like the hot mess best friend where like busy mm-hmm. phillips is kind of like quote-unquote a hot mess and like drunk and like popping into his um uh bedroom at night um i have Montage of bad dates um, when Hannah's away in Scotland. Um, Tom goes on a bunch of bad dates with like the different women he's hooking up with and he like doesn't connect with any of them. Um, uh, Um, This is just a side note. I just love watching extras dance. I always find it really interesting. Um, It's my dance scenario. It's like always my fear that for any type of shoot, they'll be like, great. And now if you could just dance. (laughs) (laughs) You know they're not dancing to music. They're dancing to complete silence. (laughs) I'm just fascinated at like the moves people decide to do when they are dancing to silence. Um, and then it, just a fun little uh, uh, thing I look at. Um, not a trope. Um, quirky job. He's mm-hmm. the guy who invented the coffee sleeve and she is like an art restorer. Um, and is that... Oh, you said New York is a magical place. Yeah. I think... We said college flashback. I think, yeah, I think that's. Oh, I the last minute chase. He finds a horse <gasps> and he You're jumps so on right. a horse. <laughs> he, um, he gets on the horse. And then I also wrote I object scene where he like does. I I feel like that happens in any yeah. rom com where there's a wedding. There's always an I object. Um, 
And then yeah, definitely. Yeah, I have wedding. I have Jack scenes definitely. And then I have two more. One is kind of like a twist on a trope, and it's really uh, I don't like it, but it's uh, best friends who get together at the end. The last two ones I got um, were a low key easy breakup where. <laughs> where um, Hannah just breaks up with her fiance Colin and he just gives her a kiss on the cheek and he's like goodbye Hannah um, there was no like talk there was no like let's see if we can make this work he just like accepts that his fiance is breaking up with him and then um, uh, the last one is uh, best friends who get together at the end um, although it's not best friends it is uh, busy Phillips getting together uh, with Tom's dad. Um, so those are the rom-coms I spotted, the rom-com tropes I spotted, which takes us to 26 tropes. Madison, did you spot any that we missed? You know, I I think you guys got them all. Um, I The only thing I could think of would, no, honestly, you guys got them all. Nice. So it looks like uh, 26 is quite a hefty amount of tropes, which we always expect with a studio rom-com. Okay, now I think it's time to rate this rom-com. We here at PSI Love Rom-Coms have an ever-changing list of top five rom-coms. And as of now, here are our top five. We have The Best Man, When Harry Met Sally, Love and Basketball, Dirty Dancing, and My Big Fat Greek Wedding. So now if we choose today, we can put Maid of Honor on that list, but we all have to unanimously agree to vote off one of those other top five to replace it with. So uh, do we think uh, Maid of Honor deserves a spot on that top five list? And if so, who should it knock off? All right, that's going to be a quick no from me, but thank you for playing. (laughs) (laughs) My thoughts on (laughs) I'm going to have to say no as well. Although I haven't seen some of the um, movies on your top five list, and I'm going to have to add them to my letterbox watch list. (gasps) You got it. Yeah, you know what? Uh, A no for me too. Um, A no for me too. It had aspects um, that I I thought were promising, but... as a whole, I think it was in its heyday in 2008 and mm-hmm. it um, doesn't translate as well to 2020. So looks like it's a unanimous no for Maid of Honor. <laughs> <laughs> well, now that we've decided that direct bit of reality, it's time for our final segment, Reality Check. In this segment, we test out the tropes and plot devices in the rom-coms we've just watched and see if they hold up in the real world. This week, we wanted to look at the rom-com trope of quirky jobs. In this rom-com, we see probably one of the quirkiest jobs of all time, inventor of the coffee sleeve. But have any of us ever had a quirky job in real life or know someone with a quirky job that has led them to love? Madison, Allie, quirky jobs or quirky jobs that has led someone to love? The quirkiest job I had was a catering job, but it was like Mm -hmm. a very specific catering company that only catered weddings. Um... Mm -hmm. Very rom-com and job. Very rom-com-y. Um, and, uh, you know, it's funny. There were... I had rom-com moments. None of them were romantic. They were always comedic. Like, I'll never forget one shift. I was working this wedding and I was serving appetizers that were um, these, like, little self-serve baked breeze mm. that were stuffed with raspberry jam. Mm. And... Uh, mm there was a really hungry bride and I was like, 
baked brie? And um, she was like, yes, please. I'm starving. And she took a bite of the baked brie in hot red jam, squirted out all onto her white wedding dress. And this was in the middle of her taking photos. And she starts crying and... Oh my God. My boss walks by and he's like, what happened? What happened to her dress? And then he looked at me and I just, and I've never said a one-liner like this before in my life. I just looked at him. And I went, I lifted up my tray of baked breeze and I went, this is the smoking gun. And then um, <laughs> he was like, who did this? And it was like the smoking gun. And it was like, uh, but he didn't think that was funny. He was like, go in the back. And so oh I, and I just spent the rest of the wedding in the kitchen because I <laughs> ruined it. <laughs> oh my God. I mean, that kind of wow. sounds like a her yeah. issue, but I understand that like, I guess it's like you could have been like, wait, there's red hot jam, jam in, here, in it. But yeah. I don't even know. It's an accident. Yeah. <laughs> but that's... That it, it's wild. definitely like comedic, but not romantic. It, it was not like a very glamorous job. And there was never like a DJ who like... I like fell in love with uh, across the dance floor or anything like that. It was more like me just... Um, uh, picking up a lot of champagne flutes and garbage and stuff. But yeah, that's kind of like the quirkiest job I've had. Um, Mia, what about you? Any quirky jobs that have led to love? Um, Oh, I've had so many quirky jobs, you guys. But my favorite quirky job was that I, for a long time, worked at this tiny independent movie theater that had two screens. And it used to... um, We used to run like actual film. See this like big machine and it would actually oh like do film and I would pop popcorn and I would just stand there all day and eat popcorn with and I would put like everything we had in the popcorn and I would never get sick of it. And to clean the theater, we used to uh, use a leaf blower to blow everything oh, underneath, wow. <laughs> underneath the screen. Gosh. Wow. And um, I never found love. It was more that I found that the job was so romantic because it was so, so small, yes. so beautiful, so old, tiny. You know, we have one of those like vacuums that isn't electric. <laughs> you just like roll over carpet. Yes. <laughs> um, and lots of like little things happen, you know, where like a boy waited like after a movie where I would be like sweeping up Shrek 3 and he would like stay and chat with me. Yeah, it was just really picturesque. It was just like, a, it was just a very dreamy job and I loved it. And it was just, there was only three employees and only two of us worked at the time. And it was just, um, it was just such a treat. I worked at an AMC but they never, it was never romantic like that. It was always like, you have to leave now. <laughs> um, and um, there was vomit and shit. But, oh, no. um, I worked um, under an AMC uh, <laughs> at a comedy bar that's 20s themed in which I had to dress up as a 20s flapper every time I came into work. Flapper. Every time you had to work? <laughs> yes. And so when I would come in... Oh my God. That's my uniform. Yeah. And so I have a lot of friends who like lovingly look back on the time when I'd be like stringing pearls around my neck, like getting ready to leave for work. Um, But we would always have to tell the comedians, they would be like, why is it so loud in here? And I'd be like, that's the air conditioning coming from the AMC that's unfortunately placed (laughs) on top of us. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. 
I did have one romance from a job <gasps> and it was, I was working at a local restaurant in college and, um, one of the bus boys, I was a hostess, one of the, they had on Sundays, they had, um, like talent night where the workers would perform at like an open mic for the restaurant. And this one bus boy was like a savant freestyle rapper. And I was incredibly attracted to him. And then I went through a little breakup and I kind of called him. His his name was Noah. And I remember I called Noah and I was like, are we going to do this? And he came over and we, we kissed. I was a virgin at the time. I clung on to my virgin, virginity for a while. So we, yeah. we had a hot make out. Oh my god, oh, that's so magical. Yeah. Did he rap for you when when you had your hot makeout? Were you like rap um, me something? Serenade me. I I probably like did ask him to. Like it really was <laughs> like I I think I ended up getting like a little drunk and like giving him like a very probably patronizing motivational speech where I was like, you need to take this talent and become famous from it. And I think he was like, I like know how to run my home life. Like you're a hostess at a restaurant. Um, <laughs> but I really like was inspired by him. And when I first moved to LA, my biggest crush was I worked at a hotel, kind of a quirky job. And I had a big crush on a valet named Robbie. Um, but he was into the cocktail waitress who oh. was an artist, kind of a Michelle Monaghan type. Oh my God. Um, wow. Yeah. Never Crushing ended up that. with him. Oh, unrequited love at a quirky job is probably the most common. <laughs> oh, oh man. Yes, it is. Okay. So I feel like this reality check checks out while at times like finding you know love at a quirky job is rare it it does exist it, I, I can't get over yeah. madison's flapper uniform that is incredible <laughs> yeah. i can send you all pictures of that <gasps> will you please do please do oh, yeah well that is our podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today, Madison. Thank you. You you all are such wonderful hosts and I'm such a fan of this podcast. So thank you for having me on. I begged them to be on just so the listeners know oh that. My God. No, we are the lucky ones. Come back anytime. We love you and we love getting to talk about rom-coms. Now, Madison, do you have any social media things to promote or important <laughs> romance advice for our listeners? Yes, um, I do. <laughs> I have my Instagram handle is at Lannis100, L-A-N-E-S 100. Um, that's my college email that I haven't changed yet for my Instagram handle. Um, <laughs> and I will never change. Um, and then I'm going to go ahead and say this. Follow me on TikTok. I don't really have anything up particularly yet. Like I have only a couple videos. But I'm just aspirationally think that one day I'll post more. So it's at M-A-D-I-S-O-N-L-A-N-E-S-E-Y. And I think that about does it. <laughs> don't follow me on Twitter. There's nothing good there going on. <laughs> don't, um, don't go on Twitter. <laughs> just don't just go on don't. Twitter. Not this week. Um, and love advice. <sighs> mm. But my love advice to to the listeners is love 
is in the most unexpected of places. So don't think it only exists in the place you think it does. I love that. <laughs> Keep an eye out at all your little quirky jobs. <laughs> Could be just yeah. around the corner. You never know. Yeah. And sometimes it's just from friends, like just wonderful, <laughs> wonderful and, and love usually from friends. It's just your friend. <laughs> sometimes it's a plant. Sometimes it's a plant. Sometimes it's a plant. Or a dog. Or a silly cat. Yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you all so much for listening to the podcast. We have a new episode out every Thursday. Please subscribe and leave us a review. And we are brought to you by Campfire Media. And P.S. I love rom-coms. I love rom-coms. I love rom-coms. P.S. I love rom-coms. I love rom-coms. Have you ever encountered an unexplained hairy bipedal hominid in the woods? Have you received telepathic messages from an unidentified aerial phenomenon? If so, then you need to listen to Bigfoot Collectors Club. I'm Michael McMillan. And I'm Bryce Johnson. And together with super producer... Riley Bray. We make up the Bigfoot Collectors Club. That's right. Every week we talk to actors, comedians, writers, and paranormal experts about their personal paranormal histories and share stories of high strangeness. Like the time when we talked to Craig Ferguson about the Loch Ness Monster and when a sea witch told him he had raven magic. Or the time I asked Pitch Perfect's Anna Camp her opinion on cattle mutilations. Past guests have included Rachel Bloom, Jen Kirkman, Paul F. Tompkins, Bobcat Goldthwait, and more. So if you've ever been abducted alongside five reindeer by an alien with grills for hands or witnessed Bigfoot crawl out of an interdimensional portal, don't laugh, happens all the time, then check out Bigfoot Collectors Club on Campfire Media or wherever you get your podcasts. Bigfoot Collectors Club, you're You're here to to believe us. Wait, is that how it goes? Campfire.